All right. Good morning. How are we? Feeling good? Sleepy? Sleepy? Yeah. Everyone here is like, uh, and he's like, yes. Did you guys just get here? Have you been here for a while? Yes, okay, so you got here yesterday, and you guys got here yesterday as well. Well, hey, we're so glad that both of you guys have joined us. Man, that's it's such a cool thing to, to see a bunch of people that like, are like, man, it's warm where we live. Come up to a place like Pittsburgh. Man, it's pumped. Like, dude, we're just glad. We're just glad. We're excited. We're, so, we're just so pumped that you guys are here, so thanks for being there. Um, as you guys heard before, my name is Ben France. I'm the new ministries pastor here, as Pastor Rob said, in... Uh, Man, I'm not here alone. I know last week, if you were here, we, you know, I got introduced and then Jana got introduced, but my wife and my children were not here. So I want to introduce them very, very quickly. They're not in the room. Lauren is. Lauren, where are you at? Over here? There's my wife, Lauren, over there. We got a picture of our whole family, I think. Maybe not. Hey, there we are. That's a photo taken right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. No, we've got two kids. Lily May and Peter James. Lily is one-year-old. She's a little, the little girl up there. And Lily is, I mean, she's the boss. Lily May is the boss. She's spunky. She's confident. She is the life of the party. She will come and she will give you the biz and just walk away. But we love her. And I believe that she's going to be a big, big leader in God's kingdom someday. And then my boy, that's Peter James. We call him PJ. PJ is the opposite of his sister. He is tender and he's kind and he is uh, he's just super, super sweet. And Lily has her moments, but PJ, man, if you want someone to pull at your heartstrings, just make it melt. Peter James is the guy to come talk to. And as uh, Rob said earlier, I'm, I'm a Pittsburgh native. Our whole family is from Pittsburgh. Uh, Lauren and I, we met in high school about an hour from here in Irwin. We went to Penn Trafford High School together. It's where we met. And then uh, shortly after um, graduate high school, I moved out to Chicago for school, and we kept dating through there. And then shortly after that, I went on staff at a church in Chicago, and then Lauren and I got engaged. We've been married for five years. And I mean, I'll tell you a little bit about this story later in the message, but we kind of always knew that Pittsburgh was home and it was going to end up being home. Is anyone Pittsburgh native? And you kind of know how it goes, right? You're, you're, you're born, you're raised here, and then maybe you move away for a little bit, but everybody always comes back. Everybody always comes back to Pittsburgh, and I, and I absolutely love it, man. And I just, I just want to take just a second to say thanks for having us. Thanks so much for being here. It's been really, really, really amazing just to see how God has orchestrated kind of all the ins and outs, all the, all the details that he has divinely put in place for us to be here. I mean, like, uh, like Rob said, I, we moved back to Pittsburgh um, not this past February, like not the month that we just got out of, but the one before that. And I was serving at a church in the South Hills, and Pretty, pretty quickly, God showed me and kind of laid on our hearts for Lauren of like, hey, we, uh, you know, we, um, it's probably isn't the best spot for us. You know, it's a wonderful church. There's a ton of people that go there and they're being ministered to and they're doing really, really great kingdom work. It just wasn't a fit for our family. And we were just like, God, we don't really know what you're doing. God, I've got no clue. You know, you brought us back to Pittsburgh. I thought this was the thing. This is not the thing. So will you show me what the thing is? And it's been really cool around the last fall myself and Rob, and then we got to know Annabeth and the, and the kids a bit, um, and kind of all of that has led up to, to this. So thank you for being here. You know, when you walk into a place, and you're like, yeah, this feels like home. That's how it felt for Lauren and I. That's how it continues to feel for us. So um, I'm going to try to go as quickly as I can, because I want to get to know you all, get to meet you after the service. I want to give you some space to do that. All right? Oh, man. All right? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, man. I know we sprung forward. I know we lost an hour of sleep. And I promise I won't make that joke anymore. But come on. Come on. Hey, if you saw, we are in a series called called Fresh. It's all about the book of Acts. If you're familiar with God's word, um, you know that Acts is, it's kind of the beginning of a new age in, in the Bible, in the world. It's Acts is the story after Jesus has ascended into heaven. Shortly after Acts starts, the Holy Spirit descends on believers, and God begins to grow his church. And we've been tracking with that. We've seen God's word go out. The church begins to grow. But then pretty quickly in that process, we see persecution start. And if you're familiar, I think it's in Acts Acts 7, you see Stephen becomes the first martyr, the first guy who's ever killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. And kind of in that moment, the church begins to scatter. You say, whoa, this, this is happening. It's, we're not together anymore. We're starting to go out. But here's the cool thing. The church scatters, but God's church still grows. Because the people that scatter, they're not running away in fear and being quiet and hiding. No, they're, they're continually being filled with the Spirit. They're going out, 
and they're preaching God's word and more people are getting saved and the church is multiplying. And I think that's an awesome reminder for us that um, even though the people scattered, God's church is being built because the church isn't a place. The church is a people. And last week, Pastor Rob came up and he did such a fantastic job of, of walking us through the story of, of Philip, the, the deacon, and then Simon, the magician. And we kind of learned through that. There's a hot debate. Is, is, is Simon the, the first kind of first false convert or is he really saved? And a lot of people like get really heated about that. But we kind of took a step. Um, Pastor Rob did such a good job of leading us to see when we get in those places... When we start judging other people's hearts, that's the time that we need to take a step back and analyze our own hearts, right? Man, and we're, we're in Acts chapter 8. You can start getting there with your Bibles or, or just like on your phone is fine too. And what we're going to see is right after this, you know, right after this really cool story with Simon the magician and, and him giving his life to Jesus and, and the city's rejoicing over what God is doing in it, um, God does something with Philip that's it's a bit different. See, Philip's in the city, he's preaching the gospel, he's with the apostles, and then God leads him somewhere else. We're going to see really quick that God leads Philip to a desert. Philip goes from a city that is rejoicing over what God is doing to a desert place like that. Anyone ever been there? Anyone willing to admit that I've been there? You know, life is going well, man. Me and the Lord, we, I mean, I've not, I've not missed my daily devotions with the God and, and with God in, in six months, and it's fantastic. And ministry's going well, and my family's loving. I'm like in a really good place in life. I'm in a city that is rejoicing. And then you wake up and you're like, what happened? What happened? You find yourself in a desert. Anyone ever been there? Man, as, I'm, as I was, you know, preparing and studying it, but before we even get into the Word, before we even re- read it, I just wanted to encourage you. Man, if that's you today, you're in the right spot. You're in the right spot. We're going to see all throughout the story of, in, in Acts chapter 8, again and again and again, where Philip, in this desert, is led by God, and he's guided by God, and God uses him. So you're going to see three different times today in Scripture, times where people in Acts are obedient to what God is telling them to do. It's a pretty fantastic story. It's in Acts chapter 8. We're going to see three different times, like I said, three times where God says, do this, and two guys in, in the area say, okay, I'm in on that. I'm in on that. I'm going to do that. We're going to see how God uses it. So I've got a really creative title. I said there's three times where guys choose obedience. So the title of this message is Three Times to Choose Obedience. Cool? All right, well, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to jump into it. Father, God, thank you. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your church. God, thank you for each individual that, that woke up even on an hour less of sleep and said, you know what, God, today's your day. We're here to worship you. And we're going to do that. Father, as we look into your word, God, would you guide us? Lord, I can come up here and say the most clever words in the whole wide world, but God, if you're not in it, it's for nothing, and it's going to impact nobody. So God, would you speak through me? God, would you send your spirit to fill each and every one of us? God, would every person in here be impacted by your word this morning? Would they not leave the same as they got here? God, thank you for FBC Naples and Radiate Youth, God for joining us, God, for for taking time out of their weeks to drive up in a blizzard to serve you in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. God, would you be with us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 26. It says this, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there's an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The Philip, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. 
In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who could describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told the good news about Jesus. How cool is that? And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from getting baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. This is so cool. Get this. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And we went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. As he passed through, he preached the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. All right, I said three times to choose obedience. Here's the first one. When I can't see the whole plan. When I cannot see the whole plan. You guys are going to find this out about me uh, pretty quickly. Uh, I'm not like Pastor Rob. I'm not like Pastor Rob. Pastor Rob is one of those super dynamic preachers that can come up. Have you seen his notes? Annabeth, you've seen his notes. It's like scribbles everywhere. But he comes up and he makes sense of it. And he's just like, boom. The Lord uses him, immediate impact. I was just with him all, all week out uh, in Alpharetta, Georgia, and I watched him uh, speak a bunch of times. I got a lot of stuff to learn from that guy, but he is super dynamic. I'm, I need a little more structure. I like notes. I like, I like points. So if you're with me on that, man, this is the message for you. And here's the first point. When I can't see the whole plan. See, verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert place. And he rose and went. See, in Acts 8, what we see is God is building his church. And I love that he sends a messenger to say, Philip, you're going to go here. Because it's a constant reminder that God is the architect. God is sending people where he wants them to go. And I hope that's an encouragement to you. God is the architect. We are the tools. It is our privilege to be used for God's kingdom, but he's in charge. And we see that right out the gate. And I want you to keep that in your mind because you're going to see it all throughout this passage. So God sends an angel and he says, I want to use you, Philip. I'm going to give you some directions. Here's the thing. I believe in my heart of hearts, with everything that I am, that this angel was from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I do. I'm going to tell you why. I believe that this angel was a yinzer. For those of you guys from Florida and North Carolina that don't know what a yinzer is, a yinzer is a person who was probably born and raised in Pittsburgh or the suburbs that loves Pittsburgh. You're going to meet some of them this week. I promise they've got an accent. They're going to use words that you don't understand. And um, I would say they're a rare breed, but there's a whole lot of them here, and we love them. My goal by the time I'm in like my 50s, 60s, 70s, is to be like a grumpy old yinzer. But here's why. Here's why I believe the angel is this. Um, because he gives Philip directions entirely based on general location and outdated landmarks. You ever ask someone from, Pitt, from Pittsburgh for directions? Here's something they'll say. I was going to bring like my Turner's team, my Steelers jacket, but I'm going to ease you into my chaos. So if you ever ask a Pittsburgh native, a yinzer, for directions. It'll, it'll sound something like this. Uh, excuse my Pittsburgh accent. I'm working on it. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, go down the road a ways till you uh, pass the old shop and save, that, you know, the building where the shop and save used to be? Yeah, go down there a ways, and then I'll uh, make a left, and then uh, you'll, you'll, pass, you'll pass the PNC Bank on the right somewhere. Yeah, if you see the Shenderovich, Shenderovich, and Fishman billboards, you, you've gone too far. You know what I'm talking about? There's always a building where there's like something that used to be there 30, 40, 50 years ago that's not there anymore, but still everyone references that building. That's what the angel's doing to Philip. Dude, I can tell who's from Pittsburgh and who's not from Pittsburgh because some of you thought that was amazing and some of you were like, I got no clue where this guy's going. But that's what the angel does. He goes, Philip, go south. Little more? No, south. Towards towards the, you know, the desert road near Gaza. So really, this wasn't like your neighborhood street. This was, <laughs> this was a 50-mile stretch of road. 50 miles. Angels just head towards that way. You'll know it's there when you start seeing the ruins. See, this was actually, it was a 50-mile road that attached Jerusalem to the new Gaza. Gaza had been destroyed years before, and so this road was just kind of marked with all the rubble from, from the old kingdom. So the angel's like, Philip... In his best Pittsburgh accent, 
Go down there towards, you know, the old rubble. Get on the road. Go south of ways. And, you know, if you stop seeing rubble, you've gone too far. That's it. That's it. No mile marker. No, it's going to take you this long. No specifics. Just a general direction based on outdated landmarks. And, you know, and Philip, being the stubborn man that he was, says, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. What do I do when I get there? Uh, how long is it going to take me? Should I pack more than one pair of shorts? How long am I going to be there? What do I look for when I arrive? No, he doesn't. He doesn't do any of that. Philip doesn't question it. He doesn't say, you know what, God, I, uh, I got to pray about it before I commit. No, verse 27, what's it say he does? You see it? Verse 27, someone tell me. So he rose and he went. Philip rose and he went. Philip had no clue why he was headed towards the desert, but nonetheless, he chooses obedience. See, Philip was fully aware of who was sending him, and that was enough. He didn't need step two, three, four, five, six. He didn't need the master plan because he knew that God is sending me, and then when I choose obedience, he's going to use me. Man, think of the last time that God has placed you in a, in a season, in a situation, in a, in a relationship, in a job. And you're like, why am I here? God, what are you doing? God, what comes next? I know this is just a stepping stone. Well, what's coming after? Man, is your reaction in the unknown anxiety? Is your reaction in the unknown fear? Is your reaction in the unknown when you're in a place where you don't know what God has next for you to isolate and to just kind of hunker down until the plan becomes a little clearer? Or is it the opposite? Do you have Philip's reaction? Are you a Philip where you know, hey, God, if you're, if you're leading me here, I don't, I don't know what's coming next, but you know I'm going to choose obedience in step one. You'll worry about step two, step three, step four, but right here, this is where I'm going to choose obedience. That's what Philip does. Reactions can be anxiety, it can be fear, or it can be obedience and trust. I mean, I've been a Christian for a while, and I can't tell you a single time in my life, not one, where God said, Ben, I want you to do something for me. Okay, I'm going to use you. Here's how I'm going to use you. Here's what I need you to do to prepare to be used. Here's, um, here's the, the people and the place that you're going to be used in. This is how long it's going to take. And, you know, here's like the, the little part where it's going to be like a testimony builder for you. But it's going to pay off in the end, I promise. Never once. God's never said, hey, Ben, I'm going to put you in a dry season, in a desert. And this is how long it's going to last. This is kind of how it's going to, uh, you know, kind of creep up on you. I don't want you to get too shocked or too freaked out. But this is, this is the season and uh, this is how I'm going to use it down the road later. Never once. If you've, ever been in, if you've ever had God tell you that, please come tell me how you deciphered it, because I want to know. You know what he has done? Man, God's allowed me to be in positions where I've got no clue what he's going to do next. That was my whole last year. My whole last year, I sat in an office in a basement and had no idea why God was letting me I'm like, God, I've got these gifts. I've got these talents. I want to use this for your glory. And I'm not doing anything. I'm approving PTO. That's not what I signed up for. I was bored. I've never once in my life been in a place where I'm like, God, I want to work more. But God had me there for a place. And I had to choose to be obedient every single day when I walked in and had no clue why I was there. Man. And I think one of the biggest lies that we can believe when we're in a place like that, I think one of the biggest lies that you can believe when you're in a place where God has you here and you don't know why you don't know what's next, one of the biggest lies is that God doesn't know either. See, I think a lot of times when we're in these seasons, we, have, we, we create this narrative in our heads that like God's making it up as he goes along. Or like, God, you've placed me here and now you've got to go hang out over here 
you know, like when you're watching a movie and there's like the main characters and they like go off to the side characters and you're like, why am I watching this for 30 minutes? Just get back to the main characters. I think sometimes we believe that about God. Like, God, I'm here. But like now you've got to come over here and deal with these people and then you'll come back to me. Just don't forget. No, God's not making it up as he goes along. God knows you. He has known you forever. Before you were even a thought in your parents' mind, he knew you. And he knew every decision you were going to make. And he knew every plan that he has for your life. And he's orchestrated it perfectly. Here's the other encouragement. God doesn't send you to the desert alone either. Man, it's kind of a twofold, right? It's kind of a twofold point. There's, there is the one piece of it where it's like, man, I... Uh, you know, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I think in a lot of times when we're, we're in that situation where we don't know what God's doing, it feels like a desert. And sometimes we feel like God just kind of dropped us there and he left us. He, no, 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 no. That's a lie, man. God gives us his word. God gives us his spirit. God gives us his people to encourage us and to guide us. And throughout the rest of the story, we're going to see that, all right? Jump back into God's word, verse 27. There's an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. All right, pause right there. So Philip goes into the desert, and as he's kind of walking towards this road, he sees a chariot on its way down. And it says that inside of this chariot was an Ethiopian eunuch. Dude's a main player in the story. Let's take a second to learn about him. First thing we learn is he's from Ethiopia. Ethiopia, modern day, is like the southern part of Egypt in a large portion of Sudan. It wasn't there. It was a little bit more north back in Bible times. Where this is where that guy's from. He's from Africa. And uh, so that's the first thing we know about him. And I think that's so cool. Because what we're going to see later in the book of Acts is the first Gentile give his life to Jesus. And we really see the gospel open up. But this is kind of like the baby step towards that. This is one of the first people we see in all of scripture who is not fully Jew or fully Gentile. He's somewhere kind of in between. And I'll get to that in a second. The next thing we learn about him is he was a eunuch. God's word says it, describes him that way, continually calls him that. So it's probably important. If you don't know what a eunuch is, ask your parents. It could be the definition all of you are thinking of, but it can also mean a court official. And we have reasons to believe that he was both of these things. See, it says that he was real high up there. He served um, under the queen of Candace, is what it's called, the queen of the Ethiopians. And this was a really, really big deal. The dude was in charge of all of her treasure, which leads us to believe that he was actually over all of the treasure of all of the kingdom of Ethiopia. See, back in those days in that region, the king was seen as like a god, like a deity, like way high up there for people just to kind of like worship. The king saw himself too high up to deal with the daily runnings of the kingdom. So the queen was in charge. The king saw himself as a god, was too high, was too, too good for that. And so the queen would kind of do the day-to-day ruling. So when it says he was in charge of the queen's treasure, that would lead us to believe that he was over a lot of money. Man, this guy was not like cashing in his economy ticket or his Comfort Plus ticket. This guy was like private jet. You with me? You with me? And we know at some point this guy had converted to Judaism. So it was a guy from Africa, big time up in the government, right-hand man to the queen, And somewhere along the lines, he had converted to Judaism. If you're going hanging out at lunch, you want to say, hey, what did you learn at church? Say, I learned about the Ethiopian proselyte. Everyone say proselyte. Yeah, it basically means a Jewish convert. And we know that he was that way because he was going from Jerusalem where he was worshiping. He was reading the book of Isaiah. That's kind of a picture of who this guy is. A very interesting character, right? And the Spirit says to Philip in verse 29 to go over and join his chariot. So track with me here. God sends Philip to a desert for somebody else. God doesn't send Philip to a desert to be ministered to himself. He doesn't send Philip to the desert to be taught a life lesson. He doesn't send Philip to a desert, so he has a really good illustration for next week's sermon. He sends Philip to the desert to minister to somebody else. Man, is anybody else besides me convicted about that? 
That's just like, and when I was reading that, I, that clicked in my mind this past week. That wrecked me. Man, maybe I'm alone here, but I can look back in times in my life where I was in a desert. I had no clue what God was doing next. And I got so inward focused. I got so distracted by my dryness. I got so worried about what the next step in God's plan was for me. I got so focused on navigating the season, the step that I was in, so consumed about thinking about what God was going to do on step two, three, and four, what God was going to do on the other side of my desert that I missed opportunities to build his kingdom when I was in it. And last night I was Lauren was with me. It was like midnight. I'm sitting here. I'm like, Lauren, I've got no application for point one. Got nothing. Don't know what to do. I don't have a great list that I like to put together. You'll see here in a few minutes. I don't have like this thing to say, okay, this is how it changes your life. But what Lord continually kept putting on my heart was just an encouragement. I should encourage you. It's been kind of heavy so far. Let me encourage you. See, if you're in a place in life right now where God hasn't revealed to you what he wants you to do next, Don't get discouraged. Don't get distracted. He's got you in that place for a reason. He sent you to that place for a reason. He's put you in a relationship with those people for a reason. Your job is not to worry about the grand scheme of things. Your job is to be obedient in the place that he has you. God will make it clear when it's time to move on to the next thing. Philip was walking in a desert south, and it wasn't until the Spirit came to him and said, that's what I want you to do. Man, God is not a God of confusion. God is a God of clarity. He will show you what to do next in his timing. Your job is to be obedient in the place and the thing that he has you in now. Don't miss what God is trying to teach you at this step because you're so worried about what's going to come down later. Philip chooses obedience in step one, and he lets God reveal step two. So the second time, point number two, here it comes. Got your pens out? Got them? Second time we can choose obedience is when the Spirit leads. I promise these next two are going to come faster. When the Spirit leads, verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over there and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, No. And he says, "How How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come sit with him. In the passage that he read, sorry, now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shears, silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? Catch this. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture... He told him the good news about Jesus. Holy Spirit gives Philip an assignment. The Spirit leads him and says, hey, go over and get in that chariot. I think the English kind of downplays the significance of what the Holy Spirit is telling Philip to do. See, I feel like if you're a Bible nerd like me, like looking at Greek and all the different languages, that word like go join, it actually literally translates to stick to it like glue. The Spirit is not telling Philip, hey man, um, just go feel it out. Just like invite to coffee. Just kind of see where the conversation goes. He doesn't, he's not doing that. He says, Philip, get over there and don't take no for an answer. Whoo. Talk about a comfort zone pusher. Think about it. Philip was a little guy from a no-name place called Bethsaida. He's in the middle of a desert. He's got no clue why he's there. And then one of the biggest guys in a whole kingdom comes rolling down the spirit and says, that's the guy. That's the reason you're here. Don't mess it up. No, I'm just kidding. Man, do you think that this guy who's that high up in this kingdom in charge of all the money was traveling alone? I think he probably had some security. I think he maybe have had a little entourage. And what do you think that those people did when they saw this guy running through the desert towards the important guy in the chariot? I think like the swords were kind of there and the spears were there. Probably. I'll tell you a quick story. I told you I was traveling in, in Georgia with, with uh, Pastor Rob and Ryan last week. And we missed our flight over a sandwich. I'll tell you that story later. Um, but that just meant that we spent a lot more time in the airport. And it ended up being really cool because uh, we're sitting in the airport 
We were big time. We were in a lounge. Ooh, Delta Sky Lounge, baby. It was sweet. And we're like sitting here, like eating our food. And I look and I see a guy with like long blonde hair and like a mask. He's like really tall. And you know when like someone important walks in the room, you kind of you can just tell that they're important. And I look at him like, hey, I think I know who that guy is. So I get up and I'm like, I'm going to play it cool. I put my AirPods in. I kind of like walk around like pretending like I didn't like just see a guy. I'm like obviously following him. I'm like, I want to play it off like I just came into. I'm just looking for a place to sit. So I go in and I'm like, I sit there and I see this guy across from me. Uh, Bolt, you're going to be this guy. Okay, just, you don't have to do anything. You just sit right there. You got long flowing hair. So it's pretty much the same thing. Um, so I'm sitting here like this and like, my AirPods in, and then we kind of like make eye contact like this. And like at this point, he knew. Like I tried to play it cool, but he knew. And there's a guy, his name was Will Poulter. I think we got a picture of him. There he is. You gotta recognize this guy. Dude's an actor. Uh, if you've seen Chronicles of Narnia, he's uh, Eustace, the like the really annoying kid. Um, and then he's in some other movies called like Midsummer. He's a Kenny and We're the Millers. Please, I don't need an email. I understand it's not a movie we should all watch, but. Um, he's in We're the Millers, and, uh, but he's been like, kind of confirmed to be somebody really important coming up. Um, anybody like, like MCU? Yeah, Adam's like firsthand shot up. Dude, he texted me after. He's like, did you really meet him? I'm like, yes, it was sweet. Dude, uh, this guy is playing a character named Adam Warlock in the MCU. Big deal. He's in Guardians in the Galaxy 3 coming up. And so I'm like, I'm looking at him. And I'm a, I love Marvel. I'm a big Star Wars guy. We can talk about that later. And I'm looking at him like, hey, man, is it true? And he's like, with me. I was like, are you really playing Adam Warlock? And like, like, like I'm not going to go tell everybody. I'm in a room full of people. I'm blabbing it to everyone. I put it on Instagram immediately. And he just kind of like looks at me, like takes his ear, AirPod out. He's like, yeah. <laughs> And I look at it, and I'm like, how is it? And he looks at me, he's like, it's awesome. <laughs> and then I put my AirPods in, because I'm, I'm playing it cool. And then I, in my most, most pastoral way, I can't look at him like, you doing okay? You good? Like, hoping to strike up a conversation. He's like, yeah, man, I'm great. He's from England. I'm like, awesome, cool. I'm not going to bother you anymore. Walked away. I did invite him to hang out with us. He didn't, he didn't, <laughs> did not, didn't, didn't take it. But anyways. All that to be said, I tell you that whole story, partially because I just wanted to brag, partially because I wanted just to get to this point. My heart was beating outside my chest. I was so stinking nervous to meet some like, no offense, Will, but like, like, be Hollywood actor. He's like not up there yet. Like if Jay-Z and Beyonce walked in, you'd know exactly who it was. If he walked in, most of us wouldn't know. But I did, and my heart was beating out of my chest. I was so nervous. I had like hyped myself up and kind of like debated if I was going to even go talk to this guy six times between now and the 30 yards I had to walk across the room. Imagine how Philip felt. Imagine how Philip felt when he's in the desert by himself and the Spirit says, go talk to that guy. He's a really big deal. He's got buddies with him. Stick to it like glue. I don't know if it was audible. I don't know if it was a feeling that Philip got. Maybe he wrote it in the sand or something cool, but whatever it was, it got the point across to Philip because the word says that Philip ran. Didn't walk. There's no trepidation. Philip ran to the chariot. Let me ask you, when the Spirit leads you, when the Spirit puts something on your heart, when the Spirit reveals to you an opportunity, do you run to it or do you run from it? Could you even say, Ben, I, I know when the Spirit is actually the one telling me to do it. Does anyone have a hard time besides me? I'll be the first one to admit it. Man, whenever I get that, you know, that feeling in my gut of like, man, I should go talk to this person. I got to do this. Like, the first thing that comes to my head is like, is it the Holy Spirit or is it, just, is it just me? Is this in my head or is this from you, God? And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 20 seconds or for 20 years. I think this is something we can all get better at. So I put a little list together of just, just three simple ways where we can discern the Spirit. I mean, if you are, you know, if you're like me and you kind of get in your head when you feel the Holy Spirit at work and it's telling you to go do something, to stick to someone or something like glue, if you're having a hard time figuring out, is this from God or is this just my emotions or me? Here's, here's three ways to discern them. First, it's by learning God's Word. Learn God's Word. The Holy Spirit is never going to tell you to do something that is contradictory to what's in this book. They're like this. 
And if you get a feeling to do something and you know that that is not what God's word would tell you to do, it's not from the Holy Spirit. It's in your head. It's emotion. It's an enemy attacking. I don't know, but it ain't from God. Learn God's word. The Spirit is never going to tell you to do something that's not already here. The second is this. Spend time alone with God. This is great. Corporate worship is amazing. Get here every week, but man, you got to be spending time alone with God. When Lauren and I started dating, and even in our married life, now we've married for five years, you know, the way that I get to know my wife is not when there's like two psychotic kids running around and the TV's on and we're like trying to make it through another day. It's whenever everyone's in bed and it's just her and I talking, which we get to go out alone and spend time together. Got to spend time alone with God, spend time in prayer, fast, worship alone. God's a person. He is a relational being. And how do we get to know people? Spending time with them. We got to spend time with them. Man, think about a stranger and then think about your best friend. What's different? Man, all you got to do is give your best friend a look and they know exactly what you're talking about. Anyone have anyone like that? Man, can you say you're that way with God? Do you know him? Do you spend time with him? The more time you spend, the deeper your relationship goes, the more you get to know him and the easier it is to discern what is from him and what is not. The last one is this, is ask other believers. Man, Christianity is not golf. Christianity is not a a one-person deal. Man, it takes a village. And God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ to help navigate those things. If you feel God leading you in a direction, you feel the Spirit leading, you're like, "I I don't know, man. I don't know what God's trying to tell me to do. Sit with someone who knows you deeply and knows the Lord deeply. Be amazed at the wisdom that an outsider has talking into your life. Ask other believers. I'll give you an example from Scripture, of Samuel and Eli. In 1 Samuel 3, God literally calls to Samuel, who's a boy, a little guy at the time, three different times. And three times Samuel's like, huh, that's weird. Eli, you calling me? And then after the third time, Eli says, Samuel, listen, buddy. Stop waking me up. The next time you hear it, acknowledge that it's from God. It took someone else speaking into Samuel's life to help him discern that God was speaking to him. So Philip obeys the Spirit's leading. He goes, he sticks to the chariot like grew, like glue, like grew, like Steve Carell. And he's running and he hears the Ethiopian reading scripture and he's reading Isaiah. Remember this Ethiopian, he's educated, he's smart, he's cultured, he's a man of the world, and he's got no stinking clue what he's reading. Anybody in the house today thankful that like a really smart guy in scripture is opening the Bible and has no clue what it's saying? Anyone else ever been there? I have. And he's like, who's this guy talking about? I hear about the sacrificial lamb, this, this, this guy who was killed, and like, who's he talking about? Is it himself? Is it someone else? And Philip, right there, gets an opportunity to share the gospel with this man. And Philip was obedient in the unknown. He was obedient to the Spirit's leading. And that obedience leads to an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. Wow. And the Ethiopian hears the gospel and he responds and he gives his life to Jesus. And all the good theologians in here who study the Bible say, well, Pastor Ben, the Bible doesn't say that. Well, I know. It doesn't explicitly say right here that he gave his life to Christ in that moment, but we know that he does based on what he does next. So we're going to look in God's word here in a second. Well, here's what I want you to do. Look at your Bible. Look at your Bible. For two seconds, read verse 36 and 37. <clears throat> Read it. Read verse 36 and 37. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Unless you're in a New King James Version or King James Version, there's no verse 37. It goes straight from 36 to 38. And I think it's really important for us just to take a second and acknowledge the fact that it's not an error in God's word. Your Bible's not misprinted, but it doesn't do that all the time. So it's probably important for us to take a second and look. So what's really cool is that verse 37, I'll get to why it's not in here, but it actually supplements the point I'm about to make. It would actually help if I would just skimmed over it and read, you know, the King James verse 37 and said, oh yeah, it belongs in there. Because it actually helped my point. Um, but here's the deal. The Bible wasn't written in English, primarily Greek and Hebrew. 
a long, long time ago. And our English translation comes from basically a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me taking a lot of fragments. I've got a, got a, a list of them here. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, uh, 5,800 Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin manuscripts, uh, 9,300 manuscripts from other languages, and that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Kind of sorted through all of that and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, put together the English Bible that we have now. And it wasn't until three to 600, it's a, you know, it's a pretty big range, later than the rest of those manuscripts, do we ever see verse 37? Talks about the Ethiopian basically responding and saying, yeah, I'll give my life to Jesus right now. It's not in there. See, verse 37, it's, it's an outlier. It's only in a very small amount of manuscripts dated way later than the rest of the earliest ones we have. And because of that, people a lot smarter than me, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, have discerned that it probably wasn't in there originally. So, I could be wrong. Those really smart people could be wrong too. We're going to err on the side of caution. We're just going to keep moving. Cool? You with me? There's your, there's your Bible lesson for the day. Cool? It's a fun fact, right? So, like I said, what's so cool is that we could have easily left it in there because the verse doesn't contradict what I'm about to say. It actually supports it, but it didn't make the cut, so we're leaving it out. Verse 36 says, and they were going down a road and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And he came out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. That's cool. The story ends with him coming out of the water, and Philip, gone. It doesn't happen that many times in Scripture. It does happen here. It says he saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip found himself in Azotus. As he passed through, he preached the gospel of the towns until he came to Caesarea. Third time to choose obedience, God's word said so. When God's word tells me to, Philip's explaining the gospel to the Ethiopian and he gives his life to Jesus. And we see all throughout scripture, I'll give you three examples in Acts really quick of where salvation and baptism come hand in hand, right? It's Acts 2.38, Acts 19.5, and Acts 22.16. It's so cool. Upon giving his life to Jesus, the Ethiopian's first thing that we see him say is, hey, there's water. Can I get baptized right now? See, what we can assume is that Philip would have explained the gospel, the man would have given his life to Jesus, and Philip would have followed it up with, okay, get baptized. Why? Because God's word says to. Because God's word wants you to. Because it is an act of obedience after you give your life to Jesus. And man, at this point, there's a thousand things that we can talk about in terms of being obedient to God's word. But this talks about baptism. So we're going to sit there for just a second, cool? Man, I just want to ask you a quick question. We're about to be done. What if we obeyed God's command to be baptized like the Ethiopian did? I mean, God's word makes it really clear, really clear that the only prerequisite to baptism is salvation. Salvation in Jesus, baptism. And I think somewhere along the line, we added some extra details. Like somewhere along the line, we took baptism and said, okay, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, but like when I'm a certain level of sanctification, when I'm like, you know, when I'm certain level of spiritual, then, then I'll get in the tank. Or like, you know, when my, I'll give my life to Jesus, but sometime down the road, like when I'm, when I'm ready, I don't know what that means, but like when I'm ready, I'll get baptized. Or I'll give my life to Jesus when I'm less nervous of crowds. Or when I'm in a church that like does a video testimony instead of telling me like that I got to answer some questions in the tank, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get baptized. That's not from the Bible. The Bible says repent and be baptized. It's an act of obedience. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you haven't been baptized yet, what's stopping you? I want to challenge you with that this week, man. We can have baptisms next week. Sure, come talk to me afterwards. Ben, I want to be obedient. I want to be baptized. We'll walk you through all the ins and outs of that, but do it today. Come talk to me. Come talk to Josiah, Ryan, my wife, Lauren, my brother's wife, Lauren. Different Laurens, but we're both married to Laurens, and they're both over there. Crazy. I'll tell you that story later. Be baptized. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, let today be the day. Leave rejoicing like the Ethiopian did, and then I'll give you a week to grab some shorts and your favorite t-shirt, and then we'll baptize you next week. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years or 50 seconds. If you're a believer in Jesus, be baptized. It's a step of obedience to God. And when God's word commands it, he wants, to be, he wants us to be obedient. That's it. That's the message. Three times to choose obedience. Yeah, but I don't know the whole plan. 
when I feel the Spirit leading, when God's Word tells me to. So the band's going to come up. I know I said I'd go short. I didn't. Spirit's leading. Got to listen. Band's going to come up, and, you know, this is my first week here. You're going to learn a lot about Lauren and I, but, you know, as they come up, they're about, they're about to play a song. It's a song that's been ministered to me in, in, in a season like this. I'll tell you a really quick story. Um, back in 2018, 2018, I was serving at a church in Chicago, and, um, man, if you ever have an opportunity to have an experience like this in ministry in your workplace, I hope you do, because, um, man, the, the people that I was serving with are my best friends. So a handful of them I, I talk to every single day. My best friends, we had all the resources in the whole wide world. We got to do really, really, really cool stuff for God's kingdom. And so we had this dream, not like a literal dream, but like a figurative dream, an aspiration. There we go. Now I sound, there we go. Sounds spiritual now. Um, we had this dream for a conference in the Midwest. There's nothing like it. So me and my best friend, my boss at the time, we took a whole year to pray and to plan and to scheme, and we went traveling around to all the cities around us to, to win people to this vision of, of this student conference. It's called Wake Up Con. And um, we worked so hard because we believed that this is the step that God had us in, and it's going to be a trampoline. It's going to be a catalyst for something even bigger and better, and we were going to gain some serious yards for God's kingdom. And this was just going to be the start. So we planned and we schemed and we prayed and we thought we were doing everything right and it was awesome. It was coming together and um, a week before the conference, one week, everything collapsed. Everything. All of our plans, half of our guests, we had over a thousand people coming to this thing. We had almost 2,000 actually and half of them were just like, no, I'm out. What's going on over there? We don't want to be a part of it. And I watched in a week, I went from the city that was rejoicing to the desert. All of a sudden, like I wasn't even caring about what's happening in the conference. I was just upset because all those people that I considered family, they were on staff with me, were on a team with me, gone, leaving. Got a call from my boss who I have <laughs> best friends with. I said, hey man, this is it. Got a lot of stuff going down. We're going to finish the conference and I'm done. I'm out. And in that season, everyone was going, but God didn't tell Lauren and I to go. And I was really confused. Like really confused. I was like, God... <laughs> It's pretty clear that you, you wanted us, this kind of was going to be a one and done thing. All my friends are leaving, people I consider family, half the people that we just spent the last year pouring into and winning to this thing want nothing to do with us. It's not my fault, but I'm here. And you're calling everyone else and opening doors for everybody else except for me. Why? God, why do I feel your spirit keeping me here when everybody else isn't? It was hard. It was hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to be obedient to in my entire life. It was the last day of the conference, and we had the worship leader come up, a guy named Sean Curran, and he played this song. And this song, um, to this day, is a song that ministered to my heart and continually ministers to my heart. And it reminds me of a season where I was in a desert where I knew God's spirit, his word, was just telling me to hang in there and be faithful in step one. I didn't know step two, three, four. It didn't matter. God wanted me here. So what I want, what I want us to do is, you know, the band's going to play it. And, you know, in a room this size, it'd be foolish for me to think that there's not anybody here that's, that's, that's feeling that today. Maybe you're in a season where you've got, you've got no clue what God's doing. Maybe God's got you in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and you're like, dude, this place is terrible. It's cold. Steelers aren't very good anymore, and uh, I don't know, man, why am I here? But God hasn't opened other doors. You're saying, God, what are you doing? Why am I here? Maybe you're stuck in a dead-end job, and you hate it. And you're sitting in an office in the basement approving PTO, and you used to be doing really cool things for God. You got no clue what God's doing and why he's there. 
Maybe you've got a family member, a friend, a coworker, and God's spirit has been telling you to go stick to that person like glue. Even fighting it, you can't shake it. Man, whatever it is, whatever God is calling you to be obedient to, I just want you to grab that in your mind. And I want you to hold that in your mind. I want you to listen to this song as the band plays over. And I just want you to, maybe you need to hash it out with God. Man, maybe today's the day where you say, God, I'm done running away. I'm going to run too. Maybe you're in a place today where you say, God, I, uh, man, God, I uh, didn't realize that I needed to be obedient to this, but you're telling me right now that I need to be that. Maybe today is the day where you say, God, I've been running from you, and today's the day where I'm going to give my life to you. I know you've been calling me, but I'm going to give my life to you today. Or maybe you've been a believer for a long time or for a very short amount of time, and you said, God, I know that I've had that feeling. Your spirit's been telling me, your word's been telling me to get baptized. Just haven't done it and nervous. Work that out with God now. Band's going to play. Then you come talk to us after the service. Josiah, I'm not going to lie. i got no clue how to, how to close out the service, so it's all you, my guy. <laughs> I'm going to pray for us, and then Dan's going to play. Father God, thank you for your word. Father God, thank you for your spirit. Father God, thank you for other believers. God, as we wrestle with what it looks in our lives and the place that we're in to be obedient, Lord, would you strengthen us? God, would you guide us? God, would you give us the courage to take a step today in obedience to whatever that thing is? God, we ask that you just give us the spirit that Philip had. We know that it's already here, that it's the same Holy Spirit. God, we're asking for an extra filling that would help us put one step in front of the other to run towards the opportunity that you are calling us to be obedient to. God, I pray for the people here that don't know you yet. And the Spirit is knocking on the door of their hearts right now saying, hey, this is it. This is the thing. This is why you're here. This is why I woke you up this morning on Daylight Saving Sunday and gave you a feeling in your gut that said you had to get to church. It's because I want you to be mine. I want you to be baptized. God, I pray for that person today. God, be with us. We thank you and we praise you. Pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.